everyone. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs>
Uh, sorry, I just got a question for you because we're leading into training, and I, and I just thought you gave a great breakdown because the average Joe doesn't understand the stresses of actually being in, in, in a fight and in that situation. And in, and in the police department, we don't receive that much training. You know, I mean, most of the stuff is hands on. What do you think about the fact that police officers, particularly in the NYPD, only receive combat training in the police academy? <laughs> and, and may I say not enough, um, even in the police academy, if I remember correctly, it's less than 10% of the time and the rest of the time is training with a gun. Yet 90% of the time you need hand-to-hand combat and 10% of the time is the gun or even less. Right? So I don't think the training is appropriate for, for the type of job they're doing. And I can tell you that based on my, my personal experience um, in the Israeli army for, for, for decades, we used to train, at least when I was in the army, um, to conquer empty hills. And because of the previous wars, right, we prepared for the previous war with Syria and with Lebanon and, and with Egypt. But in fact, the war we got into was in the West Bank. And you didn't have to conquer empty hills anymore. You have to learn how to fight in, in, in urban, urban uh, fighting. And we were not ready for it. We had no idea, yeah, because we got... We had no idea because we got maybe seven days of, of fighting in an urban space and six months of training of conquering empty hills. So, in fact, we were not as as prepared for the fights that came towards uh, you know, our way. Um, and naturally, it leads to more stretch, the stress. Naturally, it leads to more casualties. But naturally. It, it leads to us being um, more stressed, therefore overprotective, right? When, because when you are when you don't have an, an enough knowledge of how to fight, you become overreactive, right? So everything becomes a becomes a threat when you you don't have the ability to kind of monitor it. And yeah. No, not not to say that the fighting in the West Bank or Gaza is easy at all. Even with you know proper amount of training, um, what I'm saying is that you have to simulate the training as close as possible to what the operators are going to meet at the field, and how their job is going to look like. Because otherwise, you know, you're teaching them Chinese, and then they have to they go to Japan. It's two different things. And, you know, I think yeah, I think you bring up a fantastic point. I'll tell you why because. So police officers are, are mandated to qualify with their firearms twice a year. And in most cases, I don't know what the actual percentages are, but I can speak for myself, almost 20 years on the streets of grabbing illegal firearms, running a plainclothes unit. John also ran a plainclothes unit either. And both of us have never fired our firearms. And we train twice a year to be qualified. And yet we were in constant tussles because when you're grabbing someone with an illegal firearm or you're making an arrest, the likelihood for a violent struggle, which is a physical confrontation without needing firearms, is highly likely. And in most cases, it does happen. And yet, the only training offered is what John said, is after the police academy, you are on your own. Now, I had taken it upon myself to be very active in martial arts throughout my career. It just made it a part of my life. John is a very you know, uh, avid uh, you know, physical trainer. He's always taking care of himself, really, to fitness so that was important to us. But if it, it, the, tr the training and the funding is not there for that. And so we're really missing that link. And I'm really glad that you put that on. So what, what I'd like to also talk about is, is mindset, right? It's because there is a mindset that is very important for self-defense. Because I do agree that if you train, your anxiety levels are much lower than someone who does it. And that itself could be the de-escalation in a confrontation situation. So could you explain for the public so that they understand what, because it comes to mindset, what is the difference between training martial arts and a self-defense program? And where does the mindset correlate to that? So martial arts and self-defense are, are not the same thing. Absolutely not. Right? The, the martial art, by definition, if it's, tra it's traditional or, uh, martial art or if it's more geared towards sport, they are, there are different objectives. right? So if you're looking at boxing, which is, I guess, falling under the the martial art category for most people, but in fact, it's an it's an art of fighting. It's not an, 
not a traditional art, but there, there is a goal of a knockout, right? That you want to get more points, so you win or you lose, right? So there is conviction by the end of the fight, winning, winning or losing. And there's also a referee that makes sure that you are not going to end up dead in this fight. But out in the street, there's no such conviction, right? And there's a lot of gray. It's not just winning or losing. And mostly what's on the line is ego, right? Because people get into altercations because of their ego, because they fail to get that under control. Most of the fights, I would say 99% of the fights, are definitely um, easy to de-escalate, yet people choose to escalate. And, and, and for that, you know, I have the different, different definitions, right? And I know I'm diverting a bit from, uh, from the question, and I will get back to it in a sec. But sometimes you have good people with a bad day, and, you know, someone that, let's say, just lost a job or lost 25% of his assets on the market and, you know, someone bumped into him in the street and that's the last thing he needed, that's the last straw and then, like, he just goes off, right? He's not a bad person, he's just having a bad day, right? And then, therefore, he did a bad deed. Yet, he's not, he, like, this doesn't define him, it just defines his moment, right? He may be doing something that will define the rest of his life, but, um, but hopefully not. So sometimes good people do bad things, um, and sometimes bad people do bad things, but that's transactional, right? So people that either they have like bad sets of value, right? So they, they are, their values are, they're okay with hurting others. And it's transactional. If I hurt you, I get, uh, you know, I can take your wallet. I can, whatever, I can, uh, I can steal something from you. That's transactional, right? And that's, that's pretty easy to define. Um, and there's the evil, that evil people inflict pain with the intent to hurt and get joy from it. But there's no transaction but except from the enjoyment of hurting others. Right? We've seen that happen in uh, Chase Bank last year with someone uh, just into the ATM uh, machine and just smashed someone with, a, with an X for no reason. There was no pre-fight. There was no interview phase. There was nothing, right? It just went in and started attacking the, the random guy for no reason without, you know, no, it, it was unprovoked completely, right? That's, that's the definition of evil, right? That, that's not a good guy with a bad day, and that's not bad, that's evil, right? Because he had only one intent, and it was the intent to kill or hurt severely. <clears throat> so, um, self-defense in situations as such, you, you have to think about what is the minimum damage required in the situation for me to leave that, that room, this space, safe. Right? with the minimum harm to me and others. Right? And there's what you call, I, what I, when I teach, it's called acceptable damage. So what is acceptable for me to do and what's not acceptable for me to do? Um, in martial arts, the, the question is different, right? Because there's, I, I always say that there's like a big fat lie in the martial art industry that is the, the defender always wins. Right? So you attack me and then I'm going to pick the crap out of you and you're going to end up on the floor with a broken neck, great. But in reality, it doesn't work, right? Because people respond. But in the martial art, uh, on the mat, when, when we train, in fact, it's fight, fight geography, right? Because I attack you, you know exactly what to expect, exactly who, exactly when, exactly where, exactly how. And in a timing that will work for you, right? So I'm not going to do it too fast, because otherwise you won't be able to perform your technique. And then you're going to be a badass, right? So people have this uh, uh, fake a sense of uh, confidence when they are training until it becomes at some point the, the ability to fight if there is proper training involved right if they are actually learning how to work with stress but if not <clears throat> they will learn when if comes the time that they need to fight they, they learn that they know nothing and you know how many black belts I have on the mat that come from uh, other more traditional arts without naming names then they're getting their ass kicked by, you know, white belts, like the, the most beginner people, because they have a different mindset. A beginner with a, in a fighting mindset is far more advanced than a black belt who trained in traditional arts for all his life. And, and people that are in the street, they are not, if, if, if they don't have any, like, what's called in the academia, the barrier of evil. If they don't have that, that barrier of like inflicting pain and trying to hurt others, 
they don't mind it, right? But if I'm a normal person and don't want to hurt other people, I cannot win that fight. Right? I have to borrow your values if I want to win, right? But when you meet evil, you, <coughs> you have to match the level of quality or exceed it because your, uh, you know, your nice guy mentality will not win the fight. Right? So if you have to fight, if you get to the point that you have to fight, there is no clean fight. Okay? And people expect that clean fight, and especially when, when we're looking at uh, people who wear a uniform, whether it's military or, or police. And, and I admit, I do expect the police to uh, hold themselves to higher standards. Right? And, it, and it's the people, you know, it's, it's the policemen that uh, are out in the street. It's on them to make sure they're well-equipped to do their job. I mean, I, I believe that the NYPD or, or whatever police department supposed to provide it, but uh, because now you're allowed to sue anyone for anything, and they, it became more of a, I don't want to do that. We don't want to provide it because then there are legal grounds to sue us. Right? Look at them. They are training in like deadly, deadly martial arts. Um, and so now you have to think like a lawyer when you send people out to the street. But it's on the people that you know, supposed to do, to keep the peace, to make sure that they are equipped. Otherwise, refuse to go. You're, you're a popular guy. Yeah. Uh, it must be somebody evil calling. <laughs> someone heard me. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think that's a, 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 great, a great analogy that you gave and a great point because, I, I mean, me and Eric talked about it offline about, about mindset, about that the average cop doesn't even train. So you're talking about guys that train having that they train every day and they're actually under stress and even they have a false sense of security. But we talk about how most cops don't work out, aren't physically capable of even handling it cardiovascularly a fight. Never mind have the the actual training or know-how of how to fight and they're like, "Yeah, if this happens, bro, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that." And they have a complete false sense of security and it provides a huge ego to them. And then they have this huge ego and they're walking around and it does escalate situations. So like when me and Eric talk about de-escalation, we say sometimes de-escalation is using force, is using violence, but de-escalation is also exuding competence and not having an ego and being able to, to ascertain situations. Cause even sometimes we see scenarios and the police where it doesn't even escalate physically, but we see cops making wrong decisions because of their ego. We just saw a perfect example. I don't know if you guys have seen on the news, the cops swerving at the kid on the scooter on the highway. And he's actually swerving at him. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, you know, I, I personally believe that cops should be suspended. And I personally believe that's an ego issue. And I think it's important to like have these conversations. And I really appreciate you bringing it up because I, I, I think you even just taught me a lot right there about, about ego, you know? So I really appreciate that, that point. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if you, um, if you think for a second, like outside the box, right? Like, cause it, it, it's, it's, it's very easy to be in the bubble of, you know, I'm in service and like, and I know that I'm doing it because of, because of my values. I'm a protector. I want to, I want everybody to be safe and I'm, you know, I want the country to be safe. I want the city to be safe. I want my family to be safe. So you have all those things on like ahead of you, right? Like you, you know that you're doing the good thing, right? So you never question yourself, is my mission right? right? As, as, as the, the, the things that I'm supposed to be doing right now is the person above me sending me to do X, Y, and Z. Is he right? Mm. right? I, as, a, as a young soldier, right? I, I, was, I joined the, the Israeli Defense Force when I was 18. And there's a reason why, you know, we're recorded when we're so young, because then we don't think, right? But you, you don't have the ability to judge the situation, at least back then, I'm talking about 20 years ago, not, not have the same ability as I have now. So, you know what? I don't agree with that, right? Because in the military, there's no room for if you agree with it. You don't agree with that? Okay, F you, you know, <laughs> deal with that. You go shove it. And it's, it's not about how you feel in the situation. There's, there are missions, and missions should be done, right? Um, so we never stop and ask ourselves if our mission is correct and it's, or if it's done correctly. It might be the mission is correct and not done correctly. And we have, we have people that are out in the streets every day and dealing with bullshit every day and doing, dealing with haters and the, 
people are instigating every day. And then they're supposed to have the same level of tolerance every day. But it's, it's, it's getting shorter and shorter, right? So then you become, you become hyper-reactive hyper because you're like tired of it, right? And also, let's not forget that these people who wear uniform are also people, right? So they have other problems in their lives and people with low self-esteem, and that's by the way, most people, most people have low self-esteem, unless you are doing a lot to improve it. So every decision they make is a decision that will eventually inflict on their, is that decision, am I a good person, a bad person, I'm a, a strong or weak, right? If you, if you always see yourself as a, someone with, with low self-esteem, you always need to prove that you are, you're good, right? And if you, are, if you have an authority, you expect someone who sees you bad to respect you, right? to respect that authority. And if they disrespect this authority, you're going to start to make decisions that are based on your ego and not on your job, right? And that, unfortunately, most cops, right? And they, they deal with the, 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 the easy parts, right? The, not with those that will give them a challenge, right? You say, this is, like, this is going to be a fight. I don't want to handle that. But like this guy is a little, it's too easy. He's too compliant. Great. Now, and I've seen that happen many times. And like, so that's what really bugs me, right? Because this is where people lose the, their, um, you know, their trust in the, in the police force. Because I've seen both ends. And, and I can agree with both ends, right? And I know how, how, is it, how does it feel to wear uniform and the expectations people have from uniform uh, people because you immediately expect them to have higher values right? and to be protectors. And they're also going to be first to be thrown out uh, under the bus when shit goes wrong, right? So it's a lot more complex than just right and wrong, right? Because they, the truth is the individuals matter, right? So every, every case is different. And, uh, and <laughs> what my message is that like, I, I, I don't judge the people based on what they wear, if it's a uniform or not. Based on their job, I um, I judge them by their actions, and if the action was correct or not correct, that's how I see. First of all, I want to tell you, uh, Sai, I'm so impressed by the stuff that you said here. There's so much to unpack here. So, our viewers out there, please, you have to watch this. There's a lot of great detailed information because this is something I always speak on. Ego. I think ego can be a huge problem. I do think ego, at the same point, it's a necessary thing. We have to have some ego. We have to have a good image of ourselves, a good impression. And that's the good side of it, right? It, it, it keeps us determined that we want to do things as such as become soldiers or Marines or you know, to be in the Israeli Defense Force or to be a police officer. And it also gives us the self-esteem that we want to be able to stand proud, to be able to stand in self-defense of ourselves and others. And I, But the problem is when the ego hits the other side of where it becomes a bad thing is where if we're not training and we don't know exactly what we are capable of i used to tell my people it's so important that you know your capabilities and you know your limitations and that's what makes a leader is by knowing yourself and seeking self-improvement but if you haven't pressure test yourself to answer these questions you're left with those questions of who am i and you have to form your own ego. So as John said earlier, you're wearing this uniform and you have this presence and you want to believe that you are Superman. But when you are met with that confrontation, you don't know if you can actually, if you're going to handle it appropriately because you haven't been pressure tested. And that's why I think it's so important also, not when you're in uniform, but when you're a civilian. Because what I saw 99% of the time when I respond to shootings, people dead, people shot. It was over because someone felt disrespected. And so if we have the capabilities that we, if we're pressure tested and we know that we have the ability to fight, we have the choice to walk away. We don't have to feel disrespected because we know what we are capable of. But if we don't answer those questions, then we have to challenge ourselves because we feel disrespected. So with that, I, I want to thank you. And that's why I say also it's important that we have a mission and a purpose so that it doesn't, that should overshadow the ego. So that's why I say, when when do people you feel in your opinion and i and i've read your article which i think is fantastic about self-defense 
when is it time for someone to step in and defend themselves or others and to walk away and to walk away from that ego? What do you tell your people as far as defending themselves and others? So it's a great question, right? And I think that there's multiple answers to the same question, as, as always, right? Because uh, the more you know, the more you know how much there's more to know, right? So when you, you asked me a very good question about, uh, about warriorship, right? Protecting others, being a protector. Question is, who are you protecting? Do you know who you're protecting? Is it worth it? What's the minimum damage required here? Who are you up against? So I'm going to give you a few examples, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> One example is um, you're just going to your local coffee shop, okay? You get coffee, you enjoy uh, the same cup of coffee every day. The, the barista is... Uh, is a nice young man who's uh, you know been working there for a couple of years now, um, you know like always welcoming you with a smile. The nice dude, all is good. One day you you, uh, you walk in and you see someone threatening to beat him up. You know already knife out. Like you know you, the, the guy is about to get his ass kicked, and you have the ability to fight. What do you do? Do you protect him or not? Of course. Oh. I mean, I would. I mean, the guy has a knife. Or well, if I have a gun, I'm drawing my gun on him at that point. You know. Oh, well, you don't have a gun, and now you like you have to use hand-to-hand -hand combat. You basically have to put yourself in line. You may have to hurt this guy, and you may even have to, you know, to get indicted because of that, because you protect someone else. Now, but this guy at the coffee shop, you know, he's a good guy. You don't want his, his uh, throat slit, right? Can you live with that? That he's gonna uh, maybe gonna get murdered? Can you live with that for the, you're, you, no matter what, it's not a good decision, right? Either well, way, but I think this is this is a catch twenty two, and I think also this also kind of correlates what I, I like to talk about the difference between moral obligation and law. So, but, but you're within the law, but you, I think you do have a moral obligation to help this guy out. I agree, but I'm going to add another part. Of it. What do you know about this guy except from him making you coffee? The coffee tastes great. <laughs> That's it. So what if you learn that this guy was a convicted uh, rapist? You learn after fact. Does that change your decision? It's a great point. I have to be honest, no. What if he, if he touched uh, what, a 12 years old? I don't like it. It's a terrible discussion what you're telling me, but I still have to help him. So, guys beating the shit out of him, I'm not going to do anything. With the knife part, you're, you're saving people. That's it. Like that, Other than that, if, the guy, like, if, I, if I knew, if I could ascertain that by what the guy's saying, you did something to my daughter, you did this, just put the knife down. I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll intervene if it gets, gets too crazy. You don't but, know if that's the guy. Maybe it I think that's a good point. Right, but the point is that you don't know who you're protecting, right? So you want to believe you're protecting good people, right? That's that's the that's the notion we want to live by. But in fact, a lot of people did a lot of horrible things, um, and and you know we we are just hoping that they are not going to do, not going to strike again. That's that's the hope, right? So we cannot control other people. The only thing we can control is ourselves, and that even even that is questionable, right? So. Um, if I can control only myself, the best way for me to make the world a better place is to control myself and to make myself better and maybe and make and show up, you know, and help others see the light. Let's put it this way, right? If you if you choose kindness, it's always a stronger choice. I, that's why I teach my kids when they, you know, my my son already uh, started reporting this some you know altercations in school and and. You know, as much as I'm unhappy about uh, him having to deal with uh, some uh, violence or some uh, older kids bullying him, I let him deal with that, you know, because I think it's, it's built resilience. Um, and um, the, I, I remind him, I explain to him the situation that kids that are, people that behave this way, that instigate and looking for fights, they are not, uh, they're not happy people. Something is really wrong in their lives. 
and if your if their life is not good enough, and then that's why they they choose negative interactions. You don't have to punish them. Right? You can disengage from them, and to but to disengage and to and to de-escalate, you really need to be strong. It's a it's an act of kindness, and kindness is not weakness. Kindness is a lot of strength. People confuse it with an, with uh, with weakness, and in, it it is indeed weakness if you don't have another choice. Right? If you choose to be kind. Right, because you, you just don't know how to disengage, and you choose the, the kind quote unquote because you just don't want to get your ass kicked. That's not kindness, right? That you you may you know you you played by the book, but that's not kindness because it's not kindness by choice. You must, you must be talking about the NYPD leadership. <laughs> Every organization eventually have you know, political decisions. And they are uh, affected by, you know, by governments, and they're affected by political forces within the organization. And people are that are uh, eventually, you know, the, the higher you go, there's less room for, uh, you know, for people to to fight for the same position. And people make, uh, you know, horrible decisions based on their. Uh, there's difference between uh, politics and leadership, right? So leaders don't necessarily need to be politicians, but politicians want to become leaders. I absolutely love that your statement, by the way. I just want to tell you, because you said good people have bad days and bad people have bad days. And that's, that's what you see in the police department. Unfortunately, you don't see the good people with the good days and the bad people with the good days. You see everyone on their worst day. So this scenario that you put, this coffee shop, it's a terrible situation to be in because, you know, if the guy touched a 12-year-old girl and I'm with John and if he's just beating on him, I might try to break it up. I'm not going to actually put that guy in some type of control hole to help him. But if he does have a knife, and I mean, now he has the potential to, to, to kill him, I, I do feel I have a moral obligation to stop that. And like you said, that could be the, the father of that daughter. So he's a good person in defense of his daughter, but he's doing a bad thing by presenting a knife. Now, what That's if a terrible you, situation. your father, of, uh, you have a few kids, and like recently a newborn, right? So Yeah. Are you willing to take the knife and maybe you know, maybe your uh, youngest son will never even remember you? Are you willing when you defend a rapist? Yeah, I mean, you- that's what he's that's what he's done his whole life. You know, I mean, that's you know, <laughs> yeah, yes, you know, that's what we you know, a lot of us, I'm sure. You as well, you know, and I, and I agree with Eric. There's a huge difference between, you know, I, I don't say moral law. I say God's law. And I, I don't it doesn't matter if we believe in different religions, whoever your God is. I say there's a huge difference between man's law and God's law. And I think that today in today's society, it, particularly in the police realm, we are blur, we're attempting to blur those lines by pretending that all of man's law is moral. And and when it's not, and and I re, I always related that to as a child, you know, I I, I know of, of being of Jewish descent. I'm 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 myself Roman Catholic, but I read Anne Frank at a very young age, and everything the Nazis did was legal, and that always stuck with me. Everything that they did was legal, and so I never put too much weight on a law that I heard. I made sure that it was something that made sense. So if I was going to pull over a good person who was having a bad day that day, they were on their phone, they drove five miles over the speed limit, whatever it is, and I ran into it, and I could ascertain that, even if they were slightly nasty to me, I would be like, you know what, do me a favor, just slow down, stay on your phone, have a nice day. You know, so I, I really, you know, I, I think I think this is a, a, a really deep conversation. I love it. And I, I, I you know, I really appreciate you having having you on. Um, could you could you speak to your your views on the Daniel Penny, Jordan Neely situation? Yeah. I mean, as, a, as an expert. Yeah. Based, based on the information I have. Right. And, and I got information from mostly from the media. Um, as you know, I don't have uh, too much of an insight of what's going on there, um, but based on on what I know, right? There is it's an unfortunate accident. I do not think that um, Daniel Penny should be indicted, but on the other hand, he, he did use excessive force, 
I don't know what is considered punishable and what's not and what is, how the law responds to some, some you know, unfortunate um, outcome with good intent. You know what I mean? I, I don't know, but I definitely don't think he had an intent to kill. Um, anybody that's been on the mat for, you know, just a few hours and, and practice joking and, and controlling others, you know that, A, it's impossible to control someone unless you're taking them to the ground. And even when they are on the ground, it's almost impossible unless you're giving them a rear naked choke, unless you're very, very good at uh, your ground game. Um, I think that if you, if you choke some, if you choke someone and you, you feel them very quickly, like you know how their body reacts, so you know that... Um, you, the person you're choking is kind of losing, you know, losing it and starting to fervently. It's, it's very quickly. It, it happens like after seconds, right? And if you don't know that, you will never let go. Right? I don't think that any was trained enough to understand that. People attribute that the skill to the uniform, but in fact, even the Marines are not well trained hand to hand unless it depends on the unit, right? Depends on the unit within. The units that you are in, and then like even sometimes depends on the team, right? Some teams do more hand-to-hand -hand stuff than others, and, uh, and soldiers are mostly trained to use their rifles, and they are wired to protect others. And I think Benny was uh, wired to protect others, and that's why he, you know, kind of stood up and did what he thought is right. And if uh, John Neely wouldn't die, just pass out, which hopefully that. You know, wishfully that would be the, the case and he would get arrested and then like out after 12 hours but arrest more people afterwards but he could have been the hero but you know I think who knows maybe he also had a PTSD and like he was not even like in the moment when that happened because people underestimate PTSD when it when it relates to others everybody understand their own anxiety nobody understand others Right? Because people judge uh, others by their actions, not by their feelings. But they judge themselves by their feelings. No, but I felt that it justifies what I do, right? Um, so who knows how, how he felt, um, the amount of pressure that was applied on him from the other two guys that helped. So my assumption that he had absolutely no intent to hurt, and he did it from, from uh, you know, being a good Samaritan and try and try to help others, and that, and that I think is a is a worthy cause. Um, but when you do so, remember that it's it's a it's not your job to bring people to judgment. It's not your job to bring them to judgment, right? <clears throat> so here is an example for you that uh, I right outside my workplace, right, very close to the twenty fourth precinct on one hundred and Broadway. Um, <clears throat> On my way to work, I saw this woman with a cane getting her ass kicked by four uh, gang members. And she's yelling and, and, and asking people to help, and nobody's helping him, nobody's stopping. She's like stop, standing in the middle of the street trying to stop a taxi. Taxi's like looking at her, spitting up, um, and like nobody was willing to help. Okay? I heard the screaming while on my way to work, so I. So I, uh, uh, so I, the first thing I did is like, I looked, okay, so what, what are these guys want from her? So I see four kids, about 16, 17 years old, like kind of like moving around her like hyenas, right? And she has a cane, she can barely walk, and like they beat the crap out of her. One of them had a, had a belt. Um, and the first thing I see is uh, when, when I step in, is another kid vomiting. And then I didn't associate this, this kid with her yet. And, and so I'm trying to protect her. I am uh, putting my body on the line and like using mostly my voice. Right? I'm trying not to be physical with them, but I'm, I'm being like authority, author, right? <clears throat> People tend to respect authority um, more than physicality anyway, right? because then it's not a call for challenge. Um, and I'm looking for, 
for all the triangles, right, with the arms to make sure that they're not pulling uh, any sharp object or any guns on me. So when I, I'm trying to like de-escalate but, and, and show authority while I'm also feeling inside, like, I want to kill you all. Right? Like, who are you to, to beat this woman at, right? And, and I have no personal feelings involved in like with, with this woman, right? And then I see that she's jumping back into the fight. And it's like, what, is, what the hell is going on here, right? Like you're fighting four kids. And then I see that, in fact, she's trying to protect her son, right? So every time that she's protecting him, they beat her up. And then her son see her get beat up. So they, he jumps in and then they beat him up and like it perpetuates, right? So I'm trying to uh, isolate them, but it's very hard to isolate two people and four people chasing you. So I realized the only way to get her is if I take the son, right? So I choked him out. I, I came from behind. I gave him a rear naked choke um, very nicely. You know, I just put him to sleep. Didn't kill him. You know, 10 seconds. He got a lot closer. I dragged him with me. She came with me. Problem solved. Of course, before, the, before I jumped in and called the police, it took them seven to eight minutes to arrive, but it was expected. Um, and, and uh, yeah, and of course, those guys were out after a few hours. But, but I did what I could with the minimum damage required. And the minimum damage required in this situation, as much as I wanted to punish those kids, it was not my job to punish them. It's not my, even if it's, you know, in, in a way, I feel it's my moral obligation, but like, who am I to do that, right? It's not, I'm going to be judged for that. And, and, and I can risk my life for, for putting bad people, you know, in the, in a kind of form of punishment. So it's, it's not my job. And the more expertise you have, the more ability you have to de-escalate and do less harm. Right? More in, in the army, in the Israeli army, we call it more surgical, right? Like you, you are able to do less with more and more with less. So. I'd like to reflect on some of the, the components that you just indicated, which I think, first of all, I want to thank you for your humility. Sahi, you're a good friend of mine. You're a fantastic instructor. I do recommend people actually go to Krav Maga Experts because your insight is fantastic. Your experience is a wealth of knowledge. And I'd like to first talk about what you're saying because from my experience, I can relate to Daniel Penny. I served the United States Marines. And the Marine Corps builds more of a mindset than tactics. Of course, you go over tactics, but the ideology of the Marine Corps is to build a mindset so that you have the capability and the desire that you could do anything. Ultimately, the, the goal of the Marine Corps was to build a mind that is willing to run up the hill while machine guns are coming down at them, knowing that they're going to get killed, but think they can get up that hill anyway, because that's what happened in, in Japan in World War II. And that was the mindset of the Marines. Now, the, the, the practicality of the, the phys physical confrontations that you learn, it's just enough you learn of, of a martial arts program just to get you out in uniform if you had to go fight a war. Now, again, I think you said what you said shows your experience. Ultimately, what unit you end up going to will lead to more training, right? You know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, wow, you were a Marine. Uh, those Navy SEALs are pretty impressive. I think Navy SEALs are better, right? And I said, you know, you can't even compare because a Marine, that is, it's the basic entry level to become a Marine. It's extremely impressive. But to become a Navy SEAL takes time over, over time with experience. And then you go to BUDS which is the training to become a Navy SEAL. But most guys, day one, don't go to training to become a Navy SEAL. This is when you become an expert at it. So I think Daniel Penny did have the mindset to help, but didn't have all of the training. And I know that because I started to get the training in my life, training under you in Krav Maga, training on the ground. I also, I'm a big avid trainer in jiu-jitsu. I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing it a long time. So you actually learn the elements of a choke. Why? Not only because you actually apply the choke to someone, but the choke is applied to you. So you learn and you have respect for it because you know how it feels and you know what it's like to go to sleep. I was, I put, I've been put to sleep twice in training myself from chokes. So I understand the nomenclature of it. And I don't think Daniel Penny did understand that. I think his heart was in the right place. And I really do think he was defending others and defending himself. And I think this became politically charged and it became about him being white and Jordan Neely being black. And I really uh, appreciate your expertise on it. And your humility of giving your personal experience, because being in that situation where you saw a woman being attacked, but you fought at four males, 
but you took the time out as a police officer supposed to do in a short amount of time within seconds you were able to analyze if their hands had any any weapons that could hurt you and you took the time to analyze in that short amount of time of who the adversaries were and you were able to put together that the mother was actually defending the son and the son was defending the mother and this kind of was going through that merry-go-round but it's tough and i do believe in the fog of war and i know you talk about that and Krav the guy, and that's part of your training while you have people run around and get disoriented when they're training. Could you explain explain to the public about that fog that the mindset goes through when they're in a, a confrontational situation that people don't understand? Because when they look at a camera and they see it clearly in a different amount of time, could you explain the mindset of what someone's feeling when they're actually in a fight situation, a tr even a trained fighter, of what they feel? Well, for that, you know, I guess people that never uh, had experienced the pressure of fighting, or of meaning like having your body getting hurt. Um, we can we can compare it to sports, right? If you ever played basketball or soccer or even football, like I you know I never played football in my life, but I just, I just <laughs> um, the you know when you when you shoot and you miss you miss like when you're like you know three feet away from the basket or you are like you know ten feet away from the goal and like no, no goalkeeper, and you still miss. How did that happen? Right? Because you're under stress. Your life is not on the line, yet you're under stress and you miss. Right? How many times each of us had missed in situations like that? I'm sure in your, you know, in, in your amateur career of just playing with your friends, you missed hundreds of times. Now imagine that what's on the line is your life. And your body, and you know you're going to get hurt. The level of stress is a million times more. You're not going to remember almost anything from it. Your brain is in the fight or flight mode right now, in survival mode, right? So all your senses right now are focused on one thing, survival, right? And the more trained you are, you'll be able to collect more information from the situation. But if you put two people in the same situation together, each of them is going to remember something different. And experience it differently also right so there is no such thing as as you know judging people as oh look you should have done this you should have done that it's very easy when you sit on the couch you know eating your uh, you know potato chips and uh, and then watching that in, in slow-mo and back and forth and analyzing it you know when you're the comfort of your ac that's not what that guy felt Right. So when you're watching, uh, you know, LeBron James missing a, a three shot, uh, two seconds to the end, and then losing a game, and saying, "Oh, what a loser!" Try to be that guy that that throw, throw the shot, and let's see if you if you hit it. Ninety nine point nine percent of the people will miss, right? And but but they like to believe that they don't, right? So in in, in their mind, in our minds, we're way better people than what we are in reality, right? In the future, we will, you know, we'll eat well, we'll exercise, we'll do all those things in the future, but right now I'm not, right? <laughs> but in my mind, I am that person, <laughs> right? So people don't really have realistic expectations from themselves, of themselves. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of what we do today is based on the... Uh, response of the, the keyboard warriors, right? Those who are very, very loud, yet anonymously making comments very aggressively. Um, and they put nothing on the line. Right? You can't review them back. You don't even know who they are. They only point out problems, never solutions, right? And the solutions that they, they offer, if they ever offer, are not based on reality, right? So it, they, they, they just scream loud enough that if you scream loud, people assume that it's right, right? I mean, you may have a strong opinion, it doesn't make it right, right? But, but there is enough of them, and a lot of them, those, those are, you know, absolutely like, you know, people that are incompetent. I mean, to be honest, you know, I have opinions about almost anything, strong opinions, but I don't have time to go online and, and start writing my opinions. I am busy, I have other things to do. Right, like I have a mission in life, and I don't have time to go and and, and just write bullshit on uh, someone else's uh, account or you know respond to the talkbacks, and I just don't have the time. Right, so people that have a mission are also busy.
right? So my assumption that people take the time and write all those uh, comments that are not based on knowledge and experience, they're just kids or people who failed in life. Most times, I can't say all the time, but I say most times there's people that have this extra time because they didn't do well. That's, that's, that's brilliant. I love it. That's absolutely brilliant. That's exactly. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people I know. He's talking about John. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean, you described you described that perfectly. I'll even I'll even say what the protest is too. With the with the covered faces going out there, like they're not there. They have they have nothing to lose. There's nothing on the line there. They have nothing to 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 gain with it. It's uh you know like I always say if you if you're a real person you'll stand behind your words. You'll stand behind what you believe. You'll stand behind what you say. Um, could you just speak to, and not, not the whole of Krav Maga. And obviously I could tell just by listening to you that, that Krav Maga is something that should be trained 100%. How much of it do you believe would be useful for police? I believe all training would be useful police, but how much training would they actually be able to use out in the street that you believe? And I believe it's it's a hundred percent. I mean, the Pramuga has curriculum for for police, for military, for kids, for women, for for uh, you know co-ed classes, for a reason, right? So you have to think to think about the objective. Like when you when you set up a, a training program, you have to think about what is the objective of this program, right? What do I need my student or my trainee to know at the end of the, the training session, right? So if my goal is to create a competence and fitness level that is high enough for even just for them to have enough oxygen in their brain to think, right? Um, and physical strength to, uh, to use, um, you know, when needed, um, and more like minimum movement and maximum result and minimum damage altogether then I cannot follow a formula that is based on tradition because the threat may change from time to time and people change, right? Like, so what will work for Eric will not work for me and vice versa. Right? We have different body types. So Pragma Guy is a, is a flexible system that will meet the individual where it is. And if I teach a group, I have to meet the group on the average of the group based on what it is and, and based on the, their objective, right? So since you have a very different lifestyle than, uh, let's say, a, a 22 years old woman who, uh, you know, wear Lululemon pants and uh, spend uh, half of her day in a coffee shop. Since, since you have a very different lifestyle, I have to address the training based on such, right? Because you are dealing with, you are way more likely to have an altercation in your day, right? Because, because of your line of work. I know you are unemployed right now, but still. <laughs> um, the, uh, for, and also your, you know, your personality, right? So, John's what, personality, my. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the 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 twenty two years old who is like petite and you know attractive and and have free time and, and she's more of a, uh, you know, she, she she plays defense, right? And. In fact, you know, for, for police, they play offense in many ways. And what is offense? Meaning being proactive, preventative uh, uh, behavior, right? So you can't be like responsive. If you're responsive, you're late. You have to be proactive, right? 99% of your job or the definition of what you're supposed to be doing is to prevent things from escalating. Because if they escalate, you're late. So again, there's just so much you can teach and uh, and I, I, I'm always shocked for 35 years, and I'm every time shocked that I get phone calls from, from people who say, I, I want to take like one or two hours of self-defense class. It's like, what are you trying to learn in two hours? Like, I want to learn Japanese, and I'm, like, I'm only going to give it two hours, all right? And then I'm going to go to Tokyo, and, you know, I just, and then you know, I'm going to have conversations in there, whatever university there. It's like, really? Learning how to defend yourself takes so much more than just a, a trick or two, right? This, there, there's, I have two perfect examples, especially when it's coming from women, that's, that really annoys me because that, there's so much more you need to do. If, if you perceive yourself as a prey, you have to be proactive in stopping. Um, unless you're comfortable with, with feeling like a prey, 
unless you're comfortable feeling feeling isolated. Um, I don't. This is why I think that Krav Maga is a mandatory skill. It's not even a question, right? Two women, two different stories. One woman who had uh, had the, basically won the lottery, right? She came here, uh, one class. We worked on shirt grabs. When what happens when someone is standing in front of you, grab your shirt like from a very close distance. Day after, the exact same thing happened to her. She remembered that, she responded well, she broke the guy's nose, she called the police, all good, right? Sense of empowerment, she felt amazing. She did not continue her training, by the way, but she felt amazing and her narrative now is like, I'm not a victim, great. And if the guy came from behind and choked her out, there's nothing she could have done. But luckily she had the proper training for that time. Another woman who enrolled her daughter into training um, years ago, lived in the Lower East Side, and kept on saying, oh, really, you know, I really got to train. I really want to train here. You know, like, I, I, I need to do it. I know how valuable that is. And, you know, she, she, she even involved her daughter because she understood how, how valuable that training is. Um, and four weeks later, she got strangled to death in her own apartment. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, like, if she actually trained, if she came for just a few classes, maybe... Maybe that could have been a be- different ending, better ending, right? Now, let's go back to Daniel Pinnock in a second, right? <clears throat> Think of this woman who got murdered. And let, let's change the, the outcome of the situation. Let's say she came and trained. She trained maybe three or four classes. She had like more or less ability to move. This is definitely not enough to defend yourself, but you know, she got some basis, right? She got like A, B, C. And she ended up breaking uh, some, I don't know, some object over the guy's head and he ended up, you know, end up dead. Is that self-defense or not? It is, right? We all know that she would have died unless she did this, right? I mean, it's very easy to talk about facts. You know, we're just speculating. Everything but the facts is speculation. But, but we are speculating right now that this is self-defense and nobody would have disputed. <laughs> She's uh, probably a lot weaker than her uh, attacker, and we already know that he came to kill. But what if now she wasn't home and Eric was there? And Eric is bigger, and Eric is stronger. This guy had the same intent. And Eric chose to break something over his head. Is that an assault or not? Self defense, baby. Not self defense. Eric has the skills. Eric is big enough to defend himself and choose a different outcome. Now we're talking about morally. I don't know legally what if, what what in, is the uh, you know legally self defense you covered. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It depends on the lawyer. Legally, legally, hundred percent mm-hmm. Eric covered. It's if if you believe serious physical injury or death to yourself or another, you are allowed to use deadly physical force. If the potential is there. Now, morally, again, we, we, we said that the law is not always right, right? The, the right. law usually is wrong, right? But it's just based on average, right? The law is always responsive. The law is never preventive. So, um, because you know, we make rules after something was, a line was crossed, and, and the law didn't define that there was a line there. Um, so, in, in my book, if I, if I hurt someone um, that I could have chosen a different outcome, then it's not minimum damage required. Now, again, maybe with the level of stress, maybe with the circumstances that, that that's our, everything is arguable, every, everything is arbitrary. That's not a question, right? But I'm just thinking about the same situation, same outcomes, two different people, therefore two different judgments, right? So uh, people have to understand that the outcome is not the only part that is punishable, right? Like the way to get to the outcome matters. You know, I, I agree with you, what you're saying, because what John is saying is 100% right. We're all protected in New York State under Article 35, which is a New York State penal law. We're protected for self-defense. So there is a difference. That's why we said before, John talked about man's law and God's law. And I was saying there's a difference between moral obligation and law. And you're saying the same thing. I agree, because... 
being a special operational tenant, there were numerous times I was involved in situations grabbing illegal firearms. And I know, and I, I can tell you right now, I retracted my firearm on, I could count less than two hands in, in almost 20 years of grabbing firearms. But I knew there were situations that if I did take out my firearm and shoot that adversary, according to the law, I would have been justified. It would have been justifiable means. But I had a moral obligation because I knew I, I outskilled my adversary and our tactics was a good plan that we could get them in without using a firearm. So that was our moral obligation. I'd also like to reflect also, I want to tell the public, when you talk about Krav Maga, I think Krav Maga is fantastic principles and concepts. I think it's for everyone. It's for anyone that is currently training. If you're highly skilled in your training, Krav Maga is a great attribute. It's, a, it's another great additive. And if you've never had any experience in your life, I think Krav Maga is necessary. I think it's for everyone. Everyone gets up every day and brushes their teeth. It's a necessary thing. Well, I think training is necessary. Everyone should have Krav Maga experience. And I would like to reflect on my own experience. And I think I talked about this on a prior podcast. But, Sahi, you remember, I was attacked several years ago by two, two men. They were in their early 20s. Uh, and they were it, it, about one of them was about six foot three. They were much larger than me in size. But I was very confident uh, with, with the training I've had with my life. And specifically, if you remember, I called you and I thanked you because I was attacked with a knife. And what you learn in Krav Maga is how to deal with multiple attackers. The training that you provide and how to deal with multiple attackers is fantastic. And also how to deal with an adversary that is armed with a weapon, specifically a knife. And I called you. And if you remember, I said, thank you. I do believe you saved my life. And I really do believe uh, it could have been a different outcome. I was not armed. I did not have my firearm on me. It, it was in the midday. I, I was close to 40 years old at the time, and my two adversaries were in their early 20s. They both had long rap sheets, which included shootings. Uh, so I was uh, be, uh, facing vicious young men, and uh, I, I really want to thank you. From my experience, Krav Maga is necessary. It did save my life. Also, of course, with my the mindset I had built in the United States Marines, my experience doing policing, that I was able to identify the indicating behaviors that I was in danger, and the skills that you taught me with multiple attackers and the ability of how to defend yourself with someone with a knife. I want to thank you. I think it's great. I think everyone should partake in this. Uh, John, I, I, we're about an hour into this. I think that, Sahi, I think you gave some fantastic responses. There's really a lot of information to unpack here. Our viewers really need to look at this. I recommend Krav Maga. John, I'd like you to just add something in this, and then let's give Sahi his last words, and please plug in your business. I think you're a fantastic owner, instructor, and uh, thank you for being a friend, most importantly. Thank John. You. I, I really, Sahi, I just really want to thank you. And, like, you know, you, you made the comment, what could you learn in two hours? I'm just going to tell you right now, I've learned a lot. In, in the hour that we spent here, I, you gave a very, very good perspective of mindset. I, I always think about mindset of the police. Me and Eric talk about it a lot from our own experiences, but we love having people on to share their version of it and their experiences. And, and honestly, I, I love it when I'm up in New York in July. I'd love to come see you. Have you kick my ass? I need a good ass kicking every now and then. And I like, I'd, I'd really like to. I've never trained Krav Maga, and you really piqued my interest in it. Um, so I, I would, I would really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you up when I'm up, when I'm up there. And I, I really appreciate you coming on, Sahi. If you could just give your message to to all our viewers, to you know, just overall. Um, first, thank you uh, both um, for the kind words, the, and thank you for allowing me to share my words. Um, I mean, they, if I had to share like the, my elevator pitch for, you know, for what I do, it's like, it, it's a, it's a mission, right? Le learning self-defense is a mission and it starts with self-respect first. You have to respect yourself enough to know that you are the, the first and the last line of defense. Uh, if anything happens, if you are, if you don't believe in defending yourself, uh, on your own, then be ready to stand behind someone who can. Um, because at some point in your life, if you don't have to deal with violence, for sure you have to deal with some discomfort around violence. Um, you may be you know, just trying to avoid it altogether, but again, you are proactively avoiding, 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 avoiding. So avoiding behavior um, will change your whole trajectory in life. And instead, you have the ability to walk in peace. Um, and yet, you have, when you train, you have, you have to deal with a lot of things that are uncomfortable. But 
in the most respectful way, in the most respectful manner. And this is how you also make the best friend you will make in your life. Because when people fight, they become better friends. And when they fight with respect, they touch each other's body in a way that is, is uh, outside the mat inappropriate, but on the mat is like spot on. You know, we, we, uh, we help each other learn. And that's the, the whole idea, right? To be stronger together, to be stronger on your own and all together to be able to avoid fights because you are not, uh, if, if you're a peaceful person, your job is to do all you can to avoid the fights and leave the uh, situation in the most uh, you know, respectful and, and uh, pleasant way. And if you well, have you to, heard like help. Thank you so much. You heard it here in New York's Finance Retired Unfiltered Podcast. John, thank you much. And Sai, I want to thank you for having you here. For my viewers out there, especially my cops, you need to be training. Everyone needs to be training, especially my cops out there. Visit Sahi Shemesh at KravMagaiExperts.com. You can go sign up right now at 250 West 100th Street in uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan. He also has a location in Park Slope area of Brooklyn. Sahi, thank you for your, for your uh, contribution to uh, police work. And, of course, as a soldier, thank you so much for your contribution to the community. Let's do it. Thank you, fighters. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, brother. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue, secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. See our friends at Laidlaw Blue. Tell them you were sent by your friends at the finest unfiltered podcast. We'll be right back at you, baby.